0: Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Well, my name is Matt Trexler. I'm the RUF uh, college pastor at UCLA. And so I've been here before. And so it's really good to be with you guys again. And we kind of asked the question, like, are you, how do you feel rested? I didn't even know they were going to ask that, which is perfect. Because I was going to ask you, do you feel tired? You feel t- okay, I, I love it when I, sometimes when I'll ask that question, I always get that response. It's like, maybe you're here today, right, and you, it sounds like you feel weary. And it could be for many reasons, right? could be that it's been a particularly hard year or last few years. Maybe things at work are difficult. Maybe things at home. Maybe there's hard people in your life that you're called to love. Maybe there's crushing demands at school. Uh, maybe you're dealing with depression or discouragement. And over time, right, those things kind of take a toll on us. And I think that Jesus wants to meet us in our exhaustion and even in our sense of failure. What does he want to teach us? So before we kind of dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, that you have revealed yourself through your son Jesus and your son Jesus invites us to come to him because we are weary and heavy laden. So Lord, I pray that we will come and Lord Jesus, I pray that you will teach us that you will refresh us through your word and your ways, for you are humble and lowly and gentle in heart. Lord, I pray that I may disappear, that it's Christ that we see. I pray that it's Christ we leave with, uh, that we worship him and honor him. I ask this, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Who is the greatest person that you've ever met? Like, in person. When I moved to L.A. six years ago, you know, I really wanted to see a celebrity because um, I'm from South Carolina. We don't really see celebrities. Um, and so I was just like, you know, and I, never, I could never find them, ever. Like er, My students always saw them. You know, they're like, oh, Kanye West was at the local Denny's in Westwood, and Christian Bale just came out of the In-N-Out or whatever in a tux. And I'm like, what? How did I miss this? Why? Tom Brady is like on campus. Like, how did I miss this? Well, then in September, well, it was summer of 2017, I hit the motherlode, okay? I was on Wilshire a boulevard in Beverly Hills, and out of this like, small private theater walks Justin Timberlake, Kate Winslet, and Jim Belushi. You can't even make it up, right? You can't even make this up. And they're walking towards me, and I'm, I'm so nervous because I'm like, what am I going to say to them? You know, like, what do you say when you're in the presence of these people, you know? And so I I was kind of going through my mind and I was like, do I want to get a selfie with them? You know, like kind of like throw it up on Instagram, be like, look, mama made friends in L.A., like get tens of likes. Like, you know, what am I going to do? And as they're going for it, I was like, no, that's too touristy. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, you're not supposed to do that. So I was like, I'll just say something funny. JT will laugh and then he'll think, man, that guy's not famous But he was so funny, I'd love to hang out with him, you know? Um, That's what was going through my mind. And then as he's walking by, all I can think of in my mind is that scene in the 90s where he's with Britney Spears dressed in all denim. I don't know if you remember this. And so I just yell out, JT, I loved when you were with Britney Spears. And then he just looks and goes, what? And then just walks by, and I just crumble into like a pool of shame. It's like the worst parts of middle school school times 1,000, you know? I'm just like, ah. I realized something about myself in this situation, though. I do not do well in the <laughs> presence of greatness. You know, um, I just fall apart. And this is actually also a true story. I didn't even know I was going to tell this. I was at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood a few years ago, and I was sitting next to a guy for three hours, didn't even look over at him. And then my friend was like, you know, you were sitting next to John Mayer the whole time. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? Because they were like, you would have said something stupid. So we, was like, <laughs> we didn't tell you. Um... But I think Jesus is saying in this, in his gospels, in his word, he's saying, you know, I'm the greatest person that you'll ever encounter. And I've always wondered this when I read the gospels, I get a little nervous because I wonder, what would I say to him if I encountered him? What would I say to Jesus and what would he say to me? Because in some ways, right, like, it's a little frightening. Like, you see people come up to Jesus all the time, the Roman centurion, the Canaanite woman, uh, the rich young ruler, and they all seem to get very different kinds of responses from Jesus. And I've always wondered, what would I say to Jesus? Right? What would he say to me? Um, C.S. Lewis writes in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia book series, this character named Miss Beaver says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking... They're either braver than most or else just silly. And so I think it's raised a very real question. How do I know if I'm even welcome to approach Jesus? And how do I really know that I can trust him? So what I want to do is I want to explore this passage through the lens of approaching Jesus. How does he want us to come to him? What does it mean to come to him? And I want to look at this passage in three ways. I want to look at the qualification, the revelation, and the invitation. Okay? Okay. The qualification, the revelation, and the invitation. First, the qualification. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, I work in college ministry. I love college students, they're great. They can also be very flaky. And they can be very difficult sometimes. And I find myself getting frustrated sometimes in ministry. It's like you invite everyone to a guy's Bible study or whatever. And there's any excuse imaginable could come up and they won't be able to make it. It's like we have Lent Club or like we have this really great meal in the dining hall or whatever. You know, they are not able to go. And I find myself getting frustrated. And I've actually found a little bit encouragement from the fact that Jesus sometimes gets frustrated in ministry too. He gets frustrated sometimes that people are not accepting the invitation that he offers or they're not understanding his teaching. Even his own disciples don't really seem to understand. I think uh, I heard one guy say Jesus had 12 disciples, none of whom got his illustrations and one who wanted to kill him, right? And so Jesus finds himself sometimes frustrated in ministry. But instead of becoming cynical and angry like I do, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to praise the Father. He says, thank you, Father, that you have hidden it from the wise and the understanding, and you've revealed it to little children. You know, I'm always fascinated by the people in the ministry, in my college ministry, who get the gospel, like the ones who actually seem to understand it. I had a guy who came for three years. He came to every large group, and he would sit in the back, and he would always come like a little stoned or high or a little drunk or whatever. And I was like, and you could just see him, and I was like, there's no way that he's getting anything from this. And then when I meet with him before he graduates, he says, you know, I've and since been coming to RUF, I really know that Jesus loves me. You know? And and I hope you rejoice in stories like that. I rejoice in stories like that. And the reason we rejoice in stories like that is because Jesus rejoices in stories like that. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden it to such, you have hidden it from the wise, and you have given it to such as these. And I think Jesus is saying there's something about how he wants us to approach him. Uh, Dan, I believe, is going to start a series on the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday, which is amazing. I've been going through that with our guys' Bible study. You know how Jesus begins that sermon? We all think, "Oh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Everest of demand. And there's some real hard commands in there. But Jesus begins his sermon in the valley where we all are, if we're honest. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not, Not blessed are the rich in spirit, Not blessed are the marvelously spiritual. Not blessed are the righteous. Blessed are you when righteousness is painfully missing from your life. You don't hunger and thirst for something that you have, right? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who fail, right, and feel their failure. The poor in spirit, the mourners, the brokenhearted, the meek. Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom comes to you. That you actually have to receive it as one who is in need of it. you. Have, one commentator, Dale Bruner, who I love, said, it is the dispirited who live before God, and it is the marvelously spiritual who often expire from God's presence. What keeps us from coming to Jesus? Maybe sometimes we actually feel like, well... I've really struggled in being a mom or a dad this week, or I've been really irritated with coworkers, or I just constantly keep failing into the same sin or to the same addiction or whatever it is over and over again, and I'm afraid to come to Christ. But it's those very things that actually qualify you to come to Jesus. It is those things that actually qualify you. And it's far more dangerous, I think, to think the other thing, which is like, well, you know, I actually am doing pretty well spiritually you know, like, I actually am a very loving person, you know, like, I think the kingdom could really use me, that would be, that would be great, and I, and I, and I don't want to preach the Sermon on the Mount already, but it's fascinating, Jesus begins it with the poor in spirit, and he ends it with this really weird warning, where he says, many will come to me on the last day, and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many marvelously spiritual things in your name? Did we not preach great sermons? And did we not cast out demons? Didn't we just do great things? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. I didn't know you. You brought me your accomplishments, but what I wanted was relationship. And the way that relationship came would probably have been those who were poor in spirit coming to me and knowing their need and actually saying, Lord, I need you. It's those people, right, who are fit for the kingdom. St. Augustine said it is God's wonderful purpose that he prefers to choose his people from the humble masses rather than from the leaders who might adorn Christ's name with their excellence. Well, here's the big problem. I want to be great. <laughs> now, I don't mean like mega church with a private jet and like a spray tan and white teeth and a best-selling author writing books like you can too. Like, that's, that's too obvious, right? Like, that's too obvious. I have it to where like, I want to be great in the small, respectable circles in which I do. I want my students to think I'm a little awesome. You know, whatever it may be. And I'll tell you, this is a... I'll tell you, this is ideal campus minister Matt Trexler day. This has never happened, but this is how sometimes I envision it, right? I would love to wake up at 6 a.m. before my alarm goes off, and I wake up with a smile, and I think, this is the day the Lord has made. I will <laughs> rejoice, right? And I'm just in a great mood, and I, and I read Psalm 119, which I've already memorized, right? In fantasy, not in real life. And I praise God for the wonders of His law, and I make a, a protein shake. I go to L.A. Fitness for like two hours, have an amazing workout, I jog to campus, and it's there that I see all these students on the corner as we're about to go into campus, and I strike up a conversation with them, and they're immediately converted, right? And by the time we get to the center of campus, we're all singing Jesus Paid It All. And they're like, we're going to be at RUF tonight, and we're bringing all our friends, and it's amazing, and I meet with these students on campus. We do one-on-ones, and they set up their problems, and I knock them down right with my impeccable wisdom, you know? Just spiritually snapping necks and cashing checks, right? You know, it's just an amazing day. And then that night at RUF, everyone who's ever been a part of our ministry and all their friends come, and I'm firing in all cylinders. It's amazing. And we worship, and I feel great, you know? But the thing is, that's never really how it goes. Um, Usually, it happens much more painfully. And I've kind of learned that Jesus does not call the spiritual NFL elite, Right, Jesus did not call me because I was really awesome at being His disciple, and I think Peter has to learn that lesson. I'm actually gonna be preaching on that in our Ruf Large Group, uh, the restoration of Peter, Peter's denial. I will never leave you, Jesus. I'll be your right or die, right? Like I'll never leave. And denies Jesus three times, and it's sometimes that failure that prepares Jesus, that prepares Peter for the ministry, right? <clears throat> but I want to be great. But what if Jesus wants to meet us in our failures? What if He wants to meet us? In our financial failure, or our emotional failures, or our moral failures. You know, I say this very seriously. Even as like a mother, or a father, or a pastor, or a husband, we're never fully able to perfectly fulfill all our duties to the Lord. And Jesus says it is those who feel their failure that are prepared to see me and to see the Father. Because it's those who feel their failure and burden and sin and are sorry for it and come asking for help that find in Jesus' Father open arms. And that's the qualification. But this is the revelation All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Because when people come to Jesus with their failure, what He most wants to reveal to them is His Father. For for many people, though, the idea of meeting God is a very frightening experience. Or it's one of the scariest things in the world. What what would it be like to meet God? And uh, God is holy. For sure, but there's maybe different images that we've had of God growing up. Some people maybe view him as like the Santa Claus in the sky or whatever, and they have that view of him. But I kind of view it with a little bit opposite end of the spectrum view, that God was kind of like ready to judge me if I, if I, if I came out of line, kind of like those billboards where the exterminator has the hammer and there's the little bug underneath it. I'm like, what if, that, what if God's like that, you know? Um, and I'm not saying, you know, yes, God is a judge. Jesus is very clear about that, that Jesus will judge. At the same time, though, Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And Jesus is at pains throughout the Gospels to reveal to us what the Heavenly Father is really like. And he tells these parables, right, about a father who waits, and he scans the horizon looking for his son, and his son has just spent all his money on prostitutes and booze, and he has nothing left, and he's in debt, and he's coming back, and he thinks the father's going to like just be frustrated with him, but the father throws his arms around him, embraces him and kisses him and throws a party. And Jesus is saying, you know, this is what my father is like. This is what my father is like. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? Jesus seems at, at, at pains to belabor this point of what his father is like because why is it that we have such a hard time believing that the father is good or that God is good? I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Right When the serpent is in the garden, he comes up to Eve and he says, did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees in this garden? Which is not what God said. He said you couldn't eat of that one tree. But he twists it in such a way to say, you see, he's keeping something from you. He's not generous to you. And see, the serpent's words have acted like venom ever since, poisoning the human heart to God. I mean, when we go through a hard time or when there's suffering or failure or whatever, the serpent rears its head and he says, you see, he doesn't love you. He really doesn't love you. But Jesus is showing us this is what the father's really like. Uh, Ruth Graham, who's the daughter of Billy Graham, uh, when Billy Graham died, she gave one of the eulogies at his funeral. And she tells this story and it sticks with me. She said, you know, it was always hard for me to grow up under the shadow of my father, right? He was a good man, but he was such a larger-than-life figure that it was hard to grow up in that. And she says, you know, I was married for 21 years in a really bad marriage, and we, I got divorced, and it was good and it was needed to happen. Um, but she said, you know, everyone's like, oh, Billy Graham's daughter got a divorce, you know? And she would just feel the shame over this. And she says there was another moment where I fell in love with this other man, and, and I, I, we, we, we moved very quickly and her father called her and said, you know, don't rush into the marriage. Don't rush into it. And she said, Dad, I, I love you. I respect you. But I'm tired of living under your shadow. I can make my own decisions. It's okay. Uh, and she, he's like, well, just bring the young man over. We would like to meet him. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and then they do get married. And five days into the marriage, realize that he's a really terrible person. Um, and she's running to escape from him. And she gets into the truck. And she tells a story of how she, she's driving back to her parents' place in North Carolina... She says, it was such a horrible drive because I didn't want to see my father's disappointment. I didn't want him to say, I told you so. I just didn't want to hear that. She says, and as I pulled into the driveway, my father is sitting on the porch and he runs over to me as soon as I get out of the car before I can barely get out. And he hugs me in his arms and he's with tears in his eyes. He says, welcome home, my daughter, welcome home. And she said this, my dad was not God the father, but in that moment, he showed me what God the Father was really like. You see, this is what Jesus wants to show us. He wants to show us that that his father is the father of the prodigal. Do you see God the Father that way? Or is he just barely tolerating you? You see, Jesus has exclusive access to the heart of the Father. And all who are burdened and weary and heavy laden, he says, come to me and I'll reveal him to you. I have authority to do so. You will know him and trust him and love him, and you will know in the very depths of your being that the Father loves you. You know, I think we've tried our whole life to be loved. I know I have. And I think some of us feel weary because of it. We just want people to be proud of us. We want people to notice us. We want people to accept us. And Jesus is opening the door, and he's saying, I know that exhaustion. Let me show you the Father. Let me bring you to him. And Jesus will also say, You're not just, I'm not just going to reveal the Father to you. I'll reveal myself to you. Because he tells, he says, I and the Father are one. Philip asks him in John 14, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I not been with you this whole time that you've not seen him? Right? I'm with you. And Jesus reveals his own character. He says, do you want to know who I am? I am meek, and I am gentle, and I am lowly. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, said there's only one place in the entire four Gospels where Jesus tells us what his character is like, and it's right here in Matthew 11. I am meek, and I am gentle, I'm lowly. If I could translate that, I'm low-key. I'm winsome. I'm not a cop who's ready to just throw you in the jail cell of my disfavor if you mess up. I'm not Professor Snape from the Harry Potter novels who's just looking to critique you. Right? Think about the people who came into the presence of Jesus, the Samaritan woman Uh, A guilt-ridden prostitute, a fearful and failing Peter, an anxious Martha. They are all calmed in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because there's something about him. There's something about his character that is uniquely refreshing. You've been around those people, I'm sure, right? Who, when you're around them, you just feel at rest. You know what Jesus is saying here when he says, "I'm, I'm meek and lowly in heart? He's saying, you can tell me absolutely anything you can tell me absolutely anything. Because he's the very gentleness of God. And this is the third and final thing, which is the invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, what does Jesus mean by rest here? I think we asked the question, what makes you feel rested? And I still stand by the statement that I made that I love salty air. I love the beach. I love, you know, pine trees, all that stuff, right? I feel rested in that. What does Jesus mean by rest here? Does he say, come to me, all who weary or heavy laden, I'll give you a vacation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you a mat. This is really weird. I don't know if I like this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you my yoke. I'll give you a work equipment. You're like, what? I don't think you understand what rest means, Jesus. What What are you talking about? Like a yoke, something that oxenite had to wear when they were plowing the field. Like, what do you mean you're going to give me a yoke? It might be light. It might be easy. It's still work. What are you talking about? Well, I think Jesus is saying, you know, what I want to give you is something more than just a break in the frenetic pace of your life where you rest and then you go back into that. What I want to give you is a whole new way of carrying your life because that will be far more restful. I want to give you a whole new way of living. I actually want to, I knew that he was going to do the Sermon on the Mount, so I think I want to kind of use this to say, Jesus is saying that his teaching is refreshing, that his words and his commands are refreshing, that he wants to give us a whole new way of carrying our life, that actually living under the light and easy yoke of Jesus, who is our teacher and savior, will be far more refreshing than the ways and the values that we've been living by. It's a much deeper soul rest that Jesus is giving here. And I think it also, Jesus is saying, a new way to walk. Now, some of us think, you know, well, if you look at some of the Christian books that are published, you might not think that the way of Jesus is very restful. It's like radical, relentless, crazy love, everybody always, you know. Pat, And those are good good things. I'm not saying that at all. But we can kind of get into this idea that, what if Jesus actually wants us to go a little bit slower? What if we find Jesus in the slowness and in the quiet and in the communing? That's what I've kind of discovered. You know, I I find it very hard even as a pastor to rest in Jesus because I live, even though I'm a pastor, I live by very different values. I kind of want to say, like, I want to be an everywhere for all, fix it all, know it all pastor, you know? I just want to go around, I want to fix everyone's problems, like I was saying, you know, I want to know all the different things, I want to be able to fix everything, I want to be everywhere for everybody, but what is it that I want to be in those moments? I want to be God, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, right? Right? But Jesus says you need to embrace your limitations. You need to know that you are not the Messiah, that you are not the Christ. You need to dwell in me and abide in me and walk at my pace. And I will teach you. I will teach you. You know, is this really true, though? Sometimes you could could hear all this and we're like, is Matt Trexler just preaching a therapeutic Jesus? You know, just kind of like something that's really nice, you know. And we're kind of like, is it really easy? Is it really like... Is the Sermon on the Mount easy? Is self denial light? Like is, what, is Jesus, what is Jesus saying here? I think Jesus' commands are very hard and challenging. But I have also found that those who seek to live in his ways will find that he is a very forgiving help, that he is a very gentle presence. You know, nine tenths of a teacher's lessons is their character. And Jesus is saying, I'm gentle, I'm good. I will teach you. I will refresh you. I am slow to anger and swift to bless. One of my uh, seminary professors said, Jesus says a lot of hard things, but rarely does he say them harshly. That he is gentle with us in our failures. That he wants to help us in the way that is right. In the way that is life. He wants to help us in how we raise our kids and how we lead our families and our churches and our businesses. He says, approach me. Do you want to live life in my way? Do you want that? And come to me, come to me not with better promises. Come to me not saying like, I, I, I "Look, Lord, at all the things that I did." Come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your failure. Come with me saying, "Lord, the way that I'm living isn't working. It's not working. I don't know. I, I, I have an idolatry of money and relationships. All these things, and it's wearying me and it's destroying me. And like, I, I don't know how to walk. I don't know how to go. Will you teach me? Will you save me?" Jesus is saying, "Approach me. Come to me. All." And that's the word. I love that. All all who are weary, anyone who's heavy laden, I don't care what your failure is, whatever it is, come to me. I will give you rest. I will teach you because I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. Jesus will help independent of how well we approach him. What is needed is just to approach him. And I'll conclude with this. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels, this woman who has this, she's hemorrhaging blood. She's had this disease for 18 years. She hears that Jesus the rabbi is coming through the town, and she's afraid to approach him. She does not want to approach him face to face, because what would he say to her? What if he's saying, I can't heal you, or you're not worthy of my time? He's afraid of what, she's afraid of what he might say. So what does she do? She goes up behind him in a crowd, and she touches just the hem of his robe from behind, right? And... Jesus turns around in the crowd. There's all these people around him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, everyone's touching you. Like, you're going through the crowd. Like it's, it's a busy street. Like we're... And, and Jesus says, no, 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 someone touched me. And he turns around and he sees her there. And he says, daughter, peace. Your faith has made you well. And I want you to hear this. When, life pressures, when life's pressures are mounting and you feel afraid, there is always room for you to come up behind Jesus and just touch the hem of his robe. He will and does take notice of you, and he will give you rest. He will invite you to follow him and walk in his path at his pace, because all of his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. He truly is the greatest person you'll ever meet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your commands, for your goodness, for your love that you gave your life for us, that you died on the cross for us, that you were raised, and we are raised with you. Father, I pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will forgive us of our sins, that we may see you, follow you, and love you. Teach us your ways. Help us to walk at your pace in your life. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.